Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Rule the Roost podcast. I am your host, Tatrunk, and as ever, I'm joined by my sidekick, Raj Baines. How you doing, Raj? Oh, better before you call me a sidekick. Can I call you my, uh, what is it, subordinate? No, that, that's not true either. My, I don't know, employee? You don't pay no, me anything. Pay you in love. In love of who? Or just, you know, love of... You, me to you. Um, it's a bit chuckle brothers, that, isn't it? Um, how you doing? Not too bad, you said. Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm starting to starting to finally feel a bit a bit festive now. I'm I'm a bit of a big kid for Christmas, but it's taken me it's taken me a while to get into the into the festive swing, shall we say, this year. But uh, I'm getting there now. How about how about you? Are you is your is your old man dusting off the the pudding jumper? He's got about six different um, Christmas jumpers this year now, so he just alternates them every day. He's not actually feeling too well today, which is odd because he's he, for, for quite a sickly family that we are. He's he's the one that usually is is never ill, so it's a bit odd to see him under the weather. But he's uh, yeah, he's, he's still wearing his Christmas jumpers. He's got several, so I'm, I'm sure I'll catch him asleep at some point and, and embarrass him on Facebook as I have done last year. I was uh, I was asked last week on the Swansea podcast that I was on. Um, it's like one of their curveball questions. If uh, if I had to buy a Spurs player a Christmas present, who would it be and why? And I couldn't actually like I, <laughs> I wasn't actually comfortable enough in any of the personalities in our squad at the moment to really think of anything that was remotely amusing or pertinent. So I uh, I opted for Dawson and. Uh, Said I would have gotten him like you know a tennis ball and a frisbee and a squeaky bone toy something like that because he's like the big Tottenham Labrador. Um, he don't even play for us anymore. Well, that's what I said. I, I gave the whole he's our sp- captain in spirit bullshit. But um, can you who what would you have said? Can you think of like a Tottenham player? What you get him for Christmas? I would buy. We do, I know we're doing this shit, this Radio Four type questioning, but I don't care. You're listening now. You're hooked in. I would buy NASA Chadley an industrial-sized packet of condoms. <laughs> well, clarify industrial-sized. Like, the actual size of each sheath or the quantity of condoms? Like, um, 100 at the very like least. Like, a vat. As in, like, if the sort of the box they came in would be so full of rubber that if you dropped it, it would bounce up, like, 30 feet in the air, that kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for humouring me. Um, but 
We had a, <clears throat> a very good result on the weekend, I feel. Swansea City. Were you happy with it? Yeah, I was. It was uh, another one. I think I think we should I think we should I think we should be pretty happy with that. There's a I don't I don't know if you've seen that like, Seb or uh, our pal, our brother in arms, I should say now. He's uh, he wrote a very good piece about the value of actually just celebrating when Tottenham win. That you know, instead of like picking over the the meat and bones of every single performance and every single little thing that could have been done better or should have been done. Like, we're just kind of losing the value of Tottenham winning in the last minute is actually really good. Um, it, it does it does feel that way a bit. It feels as though a lot of people have been saying, yeah, well, you know, we robbed Swansea for that. Boney should have done this. Boney should... I, I, I think a lot of people were watching a different game. I think we actually played pretty well. I'm, I'm not sure we can expect to turn, like, rock up at a team like Swansea anymore and sweep the floor with them. Like, we've, we've never done that in the past and we've had better teams. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 I'm pretty happy with that. I, th- I think we performed all right, don't you? Yeah, it was all right. Um, I mean, it's, it weren't, it weren't the greatest performance ever. It wasn't the most convincing thing ever, but no, no. they won. So you can't really complain when they win, especially when it's another late win and, um, they're stacking up in a way now that it, it's no longer a coincidence or just a, strange happening it's it looks like there's a desire there and there's a level of fitness and a, a level of belief within themselves and the fact that it, it indicates that they're, they're playing for the manager and they're happy with what they're doing the fact that they they celebrate so vociferously when they do score and they always go for the winner so it's um it's always amusing it's always nice to see um there's there's nothing quite like a a, a 90th minute winner they um they somehow seem a bit um Seem a bit better than any other goals, just because they sort of come out of the blue, and you kind of don't expect anyone to score that late, especially when you've done it previously. You think uh, lightning won't strike for another time in a row, but it does, and uh, it was uh, it was very amusing again. What do you uh, what do you make of the whole our Pochettino's double playing sessions paying off, so on and so forth, hence why we're getting so many last-minute winners. Do you think, do you pay any credence to that at all? I'm not sure whether or not those double training sessions are actually a, a truth or not. I'm, I'm not, I don't <laughs> think anyone's particularly au fait with um, the the training schedule at the club. I think they may have had... No, that's, that's one thing that a lot of people are taking for granted, isn't it? Like, a lot of people are saying, like, Pochettino's double training sessions are doing this, but... As you say, yeah, no, it's never actually been confirmed if they exist or not. I'm sure they did during the summer, but I think most clubs, at least for a week or two, do double training just because they want to make sure that the players are, are at the correct weight when they come back. But um, I, I think there's a, there's an element that the training has has an impact on the way we we play. I mean, we we saw the opposite of this under AVB, who actually left the club a year today, a year ago. So um, there's that anniversary to. To kind of mull over, but um, he he was conceding a lot of late goals in his first season at the club, and then he changed his training methods to do something much more mentally and physically strenuous towards the end of the session, with in mind that it would improve them physically and, and prolong their concentration. And from that moment on, we we didn't really concede any more late goals. So. It's all about what they what they're doing in training and how they're preparing the team, and it looks like Pochettino has got them in such a, a mindset and such a, a physical state that they're um, comfortable enough to to play the whole ninety minutes and, and threaten for that entire time. 
I think one of the things I, I said to Matt on the Jack cast, that would be probably like the most uh, self-indulgent podcast I could ever create, but it, it, it wasn't my doing. It's uh, whatever, it's the Swansea podcast. Um, I was talking to to them about Tottenham's kind of habit of being able to pull results out of the bag. And I sort of attributed it to the fact that although we aren't, you know, barnstorming through the league and we're not performing maybe as well as we could be, um, a lot of people are taking for granted, and probably Spurs fans as much as anyone else, taking for granted the fact we, we do have some very, very good footballers, you know, and Christian Eriksen is exactly that. You know, we've we've waxed lyrical about him in the past, and I actually criticised him at half-time, not in a knee-jerk fashion, just, yeah, again, people were laying into Eric Lamella, and I was just saying, well, you know, why aren't we reserving any of this kind of vitriol for... Ryan Mason or Christian Eriksen, two players who I don't think have offered much going forwards either. Um, but it's not to say I don't rate Eriksen, it's very much the opposite. But when you do have a player like Eriksen in, in your side, they're going to pop up with goals like that. Um, because you know when when the opposition is tiring a bit, they are starting to nap, that's where that kind of those little bits of class can, can kick in and, and you know, put them to the sword, as it were. We've seen that happen to us on... Numerous occasions in the past, um, when sort of when the class has shone through and those players of quality have just nipped it or gotten the drawback or whatever, and I, I don't know. I think that's that's one thing we've always got to be positive about as as Tottenham fans. That as much as we can get very down in the dumps about our position and how people are performing, there is still always that potential there for us to be a winning team and for us to have a a very you know convincing side once it all starts to come together and Ericsson himself has actually said this week that a lot of members of the team are actually starting to feel as though Pochettino's training and Pochettino's direction is actually starting to come through now which I find very interesting that you know the, the players themselves are starting to notice a change in the way they're playing and their understanding of the game and their understanding of Pochettino's system and you know, there's there's a lot to be said for as you know, as we've said in the past, having patience and waiting for you know something new to to kick in and for the for the for the wheels to get in motion, as it were. Because you know, like we've like we've said, we won't go too much into it because I don't really want to give it much airtime. But people calling for Pochettino to be sacked already—it's just—it's it's ridiculous, and it's you know, these things take time. But. Um, one thing I did want to, to go on to as well was Wilfred Boney because he had a he had a pretty mixed afternoon. I felt. Um, did I mean what were your immediate impressions about him, mate? Um, it's a bit strange, one really, because there's been an awful lot of pining over Bonnie in recent weeks. Yeah. Um, from Tottenham fans, Tottenham fans uh, specifically about um, wanting to bring him in and, and see if he would make a difference in a. It's not a notion I agree with, really, uh, purely because I think uh, Bonnie's a, a striker that thrives off consistent line of service, and that is what our strikers at the moment aren't receiving. Um, that's why they're, they're failing to score goals and, and have as many chances as you'd want them to, is because they're not being served in the manner they are. They are very much part of a of a unit in that front four, and if the entire front four aren't firing on on all cylinders, it's going to be the striker, which is essentially just the the icing on top of that cake, that is going to suffer the most because he's the one that has little to do. There is the the caveat that the perhaps 
the person playing up front could create their own chances a tiny bit more and take the half chances that are, are cropping up. But um, that would be a bit too picky, to be honest. I don't think um, I don't think Bonnie would be much better in that regard, to be honest. I think there's a much deeper seated issue with um, our, our striking issues. I don't, I don't think we've had a had a consistent line of service to a striker for a few years now, um, and that's been been the way for quite a while. The, the majority of our goals will come from midfield for for a decent period of time. Now, the last time we probably had a, a striker that, that scored consistently was um, Berbatov and Keane, to be honest. I mean, Jermaine Defoe went in through yeah. through fits and starts. Adibio had one season on loan. Um, Pavlichenko, again, had fits and starts where he'd, he'd look like the best striker on the planet and then he just wouldn't look interested at other moments and uh, Soldado's never really kicked on on the way we'd, we'd want him to but that's, again, after after this change in focus of us not really having strikers um, scoring as many goals. I think it's, um, without looking too much into it, um, and, I, and I, tr- I probably will do at some point, but um, I haven't yet... I think it's a a larger trend across Europe, to be honest, the fact that strikers aren't scoring as many goals and that the midfield is where goals are coming from more because there are so many teams that now play with one striker and the striker has to do a lot more dog work than just scoring goals. There are, you can probably count on one hand the amount of strikers that are known for just purely scoring goals. And there's a lot of others that are very good players, but their their sole purpose is no longer to just to just finish the move off so it's a, it's a much more multifaceted position than it perhaps may have been and we know the way in which people don't like changing football and the fact that strikers are, are uh, stereotypically known to, to score goals um, and they still should to a large degree in this in this day and age but there are the positions become a bit different, to be honest. It's um, it's more about creating space and things. But as I say, it's something I'll probably have a, a bit more of a look into to see whether or not my hypothesis is is correct or not, um, and backed up by the uh, the actual trends across the continent. I was going to say, I mean, it's 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 pretty interesting. I don't watch as much European football as probably. Many people do, or at least claim to. Um, but it, it, it seems to me the only real kind of out-and-out strikers now are the kind of very big and powerful yet skillful players that still manage to kind of operate in that traditional striker role. So you've got your likes of Diego Costa, people like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, that that have that presence that can hold the ball up front, but as well as you know, make chances to themselves and score goals. And that's why those kind of players are at such a premium and they're such a precious commodity. I mean, if you if you even look at like team like United, you know, they've got like Rooney, Falcao, Van Persie. Van Persie who's starting to score a few now, but Rooney's only starting to really score because he's dropping back and probably playing in a similar way to how we've had Harry Kane playing, dare I say, you know. Um so yeah, I agree with you. I think that strikers probably are changing and you, you kind of feel like, you know, a player like Soldado, if we'd assigned him 10 years or so ago, would have probably been scoring for fun in the Premier League and within the sort of team we had when we had, yeah, people bombing down the wings and whipping crosses in. But I don't know. I don't I don't think that's the answer. Like a lot of people that at uh, pre-game for Swansea were saying, you know, 
drop this inverted wingers shit, you know, when it, when's, when's Pochettino going to learn? It's like, well, I think really Aaron Lennon's probably our only traditional winger in the club anymore. And I, I don't actually think we have the personnel to accommodate playing traditional wingers. You know, people might say, oh, well, we can put Chadley down the left wing, but then you're completely wasting Chadley because Chadley's not a traditional winger. So I don't know. I I, I I, I can see the I can see the the, the clamour for it because United are starting to show at the moment that with traditional wingers they're they're managing to get decent service into Van Persie. I know I'm using them as an example again, but I did just watch their game with interest because they seem to be picking up, and I quite like Van Hal. But uh, yeah, I mean they they Ashley Young seems to be having a having a fucking whale of a time at the moment again. Um, so I don't know. Um, I don't know. Would would you? Would you welcome the uh, the old traditional wingers back as opposed to inverted again, mate? Um, not really, to be honest. I don't think it's something that's that's tantamount to kicking on as a, as a team in this um, in this modern modern game. I don't think there's many of the best sides that play in that manner. Um, I don't even think United's wingers are that traditional. They usually play with with wing backs to to increase the the room on the weight. So that's that's still with three at the back. It's still not, you know, four four two with a big man and a small one up front. It's a bit different to that. So it's, I think that's while it still has its merits to some degree. I don't think it's the best system anymore. I don't think it's it's the one that will work too much. I think there's definitely, I think there's definitely a call for it in the midst of some games. I don't think it's something we should maybe set out to do. But there's there's definitely been a case made for it when we have seen teams like Stoke like Palace as well at home, who have kind of really packed the middle and just nullified our, our attacks when, you know, because it, it just becomes predictable when our players are cutting inside. They can just soak that up and do whatever they want with it all day long. Um, but if we had players with the capacity to be able to kind of come inside, but also sometimes take it to the byline, um, whip one in, then... You know, it it could be a useful tool to have, but again, as you've said before, having these kind of players that are multifunctional that can operate in various kind of different ways at the drop of a hat within you know chain like systems that change on a match day. Do we have the budget to bring in players like that? Because the only sort of teams that really have players like that are your Chelsea's, your Real Madrid's, your Barcelona's, and that's why they've spent you know upwards of 30, 40 million on each player in nearly every position on their team. So, you know, there needs to be a certain idea of realistic expectation in there, but, you know, that's the problem. Even if you look at the 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 cost of situation at um, Chelsea, it wasn't just the case of them buying a new striker and that being the answer to all of their problems. They also bought somebody to provide the striker as well. They bought Fabregas and Costa, and that is very much a partnership that they've they've bought for an awful lot of money. They've not just parachuted Costa into the existing side and he's taken off in the manner he has done, especially in those first few weeks where he couldn't stop scoring. They've had to readjust the way they're playing in the bands deeper, 
which creates him the space and opportunity he's been getting. Um, and that's nobody's really discussing that with Tottenham in mind. They're just talking about purely drafting in another name to put up front and expecting that person to suddenly pick up in a manner that, that nobody else has. And I think that's a very basic way of thinking, um, quite a, a wrong way of thinking. And um, it's just a case of grass always being greener and people obviously getting frustrated with the fact that Adibayo has these sidelines going on with his life at the present and hasn't been in the side for quite a while and that Soldado isn't scoring and there's this narrative surrounding him that he's never going to be good enough and he's never going to take off, which could be true, to be honest, but it's, it's something that I'm trying not to not to dwell on too much and, and have my fingers crossed for him at every opportunity because he, he's still providing something to that side. There is still something about his game that is helping us. So it's um it's a funny one really. I would I'd try and persist because I don't I don't think we're gonna be diving into the market too heavily in January, as I've said previously. That's just not a market that we've ever exploited properly or um explored properly really since um since since it's probably introduction really. We've we've only ever spent heavily in it out of desperation a couple of times so it's um it's gonna be something that we'll have a look at properly in the summer when I imagine Pochettino and and Mitchell sit down with a black box and um, and have a have a propaganda at it. Huh. Um, right. Well, as uh, as we're talking about this this thick and far, fast, I should say, volley of fixtures that are coming our way over the winter period, we are going up north. We're going to to Burnley, um, and Raj is going to be having a chat with one of our. Cross Pennine, well, one of his Cross Pennine rivals from the No Nay Never podcast. So take it away, Raji Baines. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for giving us your time. Um, you're a Burnley blogger. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, I run uh, No Nay Never, Burnley FC blog, website, podcast, all that fun stuff. Set it up four years ago now. I think it's doing pretty well. And- yeah, it keeps me interested and sane a lot of the time. Um, Burnley's not a club that I think we found when we um, when we had a look into getting somebody on that has too much of an an online presence as much as we could see. So it's it seems like uh, the blog is is one of very few that that talk about Burnley. Is that a, a right assumption to make, or is it way of, way of the mark? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, the reason we did it was because we didn't really feel like there was anything else out there like it. No one ever was initially supposed to be um, almost sort of highbrow coverage of Burnley. It always sounded a bit like a, a, a snob when you talk about this. But we wanted to do some the sort of stands out there. But yeah, there's a message boards and some people have individual bogs, but we always try and bring them in because we wanted to be almost like a collective as much as anything else. It makes it sound like a cult when you put it like that. But I always find it difficult to talk about, but we always wanted to be inclusive. But have almost the highest standard of debate and really push push things forward and get people talking about stuff as much as possible. That sounds good. You've um, you've come up into Premier League this season for your second second stint in this in the in the Premier League as it is in its current incarnation. Yeah, that's right. Was it it's third? the second second first one was four or five years ago now. And uh, you're second in the Championship last season. Yeah, that's right. We we're a bit behind last year in the end, but some distance clear of the rest. 
Is it largely down to the goals from Ings and Vokes last season? Is that something you think you're missing this time around? Do you reckon um, Danny Ings has banged a few in now, but he's he's missing Vokes, isn't he? Yeah, I think that's been fair, but Vokes got injured in, in March, so it's something we should have really been a bit more prepared for. And I think the the summer transfer dealings, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about those a bit later in detail, but we seem to really replace Vokes adequately and yeah Ings definitely has missed him and it took him a bit of time to adapt to the Premier League as well but it's certainly been a big factor that he's had to learn how to play with with different strikers the strike force until the last few weeks has been pretty much thrown together by the week there's been a few different players have had a go but we're really benefiting now from having a settled strike force and Ings and Ashley Barnes are really developing something and since Barnes got in the side We've taken 11 points from six games, so it seems to be coming together. But Volks is, is coming back. He's played his second 90 minutes for the development squad, so we hopefully he's going to be on the bench soon. And possibly, Spurs game might be a bit soon, but at some point over Christmas and New Year, hopefully we'll see Sam Volks back in action and hopefully it'll be his old self. You were you were sort of, as, as smaller clubs, I think, are often are, you patronised when you come up and it's... Um, you, you treat as if it's you should be looking at it as, as a bit of a holiday from the lower leagues, and you should be trying to enjoy it while you can. And that sort of rhetoric is often repeated. Do you, do you think that Burnley can actually achieve something and establish themselves in the Premier League if they treat it right? I don't see why not. And I think one of the problems last time was that the club seemed to treat it as a holiday as well. They didn't seem to to really understand that if you want to be a Premier League club, you've got to act like one. And it, it was very much a case of us taking the one season up there. And I think that was partly why, why Owen Coyle left last time, because we just didn't really seem prepared for the top flight. Um, this time, it does seem a bit more different. I think we have learned lessons from last time. I don't think Dash is the sort of person to do what Coyle did last time, which left us in the lurch a little bit. So hopefully we are more equipped. And I see some of the clubs in the Premier League, and I don't see why we can't be a regular fixture in there. I think Swansea are a really good example. OK, they've got a richer owner than we have, but they've built up quite steadily. They've come up through the leagues like we have, and they've done it without spending vast amounts of money, but they've spent money on good players who they're going to develop further and then make a profit on. They've spent a lot of money on players like Boney, for example, but they'll double their money on him at least. So... I think that's the sort of example that we can follow. And, yeah, we're always going to be one of the smaller clubs in the Premier League, but I don't think we've been out of place a lot of times this season. So I'm hopeful we can stay up. And if we do stay up, there's every chance of us becoming established. There was quite a lot of talk when you, you failed to win a game for a little while that you were going to be worse than that Derby side that famously only won the one match all season. Um, given what you've just said, did, was that something that you just thought was, was ridiculous and you dismissed out of hand straight away? I mean, I'm not going to lie and say I wasn't concerned at, at that point because I think when when you get promoted, you really want to go off to a good start and maintain that momentum. And, and we didn't, basically. And We went five games without scoring a goal and obviously if you're not going to score a goal, you're going to find it very hard to win a football match. So at that point, it was concerning. But we were too good last season to have the sort of season that Derby had, I think. So I was always quite confident we'd we'd get going eventually. It's just a shame it took us so long. But the Premier League's so tight that it only takes a little bit of a run like we're on at the minute and then you find yourself 
a few places up the league. So it was a concern at the time, but I think performances in the last few weeks have shown that any, anyone talking about us as doing a derby was, uh, let's just say, not right. <laughs> and they probably should have paid more attention to how good we were last year. If we have a, have a look at uh, the players you brought in this summer, there were Michael Kitely, Matt Gilks, uh, Marvin Sordell, Matt Taylor, Stephen Reid, Lucas Yutskovich, I think that is, uh, Stephen Ward and George Boyd. Uh, they're, they're fairly uh, well-known names, but none of them are obviously top-tier players. Was it a concern this summer? Do you, do you think Burnley could have done better business, or do you think they were the sort of players to improve the squad coming into a league? I think it, it's difficult to say because our budget was always going to be small than most clubs. I think there's a stat came out this week that we spent less than everyone apart from one other club and I think that was Stoke. But if you take wages into account, they'll be spending a lot more than us. So our budget was always going to be very small. Um, a lot of the, the targets that we seemed to go after, we struggled to get done. There were players like James MacArthur ended up going to Crystal Palace um, and a string of players who we chased all summer and they ended up signing new contracts. It just turned out to be a bit of a joke. And <laughs> I think the the market this summer got difficult for us. If if I'm going to be diplomatic, I think Troy Deeney was a player that we wanted, and it seemed like earlier in the summer he was the the one that we were going to try and make the big signing. But we were thinking sort of five six million for Deeney, I think, and Watford decided they wanted ten. And the club has said repeatedly that after Fulham paid eleven million for Ross McCormack, that just meant that all Championship clubs started backing up their so Watford started wanting 10 million for Deeney you find it difficult to get players like Craig Bryson who was someone else we were interested in there were almost countless others and I feel like if we'd got the, the prime targets in we'd have had a much better chance of staying up but then the situation at the minute has proven that we can do okay with what we already had I mean and the players you mentioned, Kitely's been in and out. We had him on loan last season, so he's not really a new signing. Boyd's come in and done pretty well, although maybe not as well as you would expect a, a joint record signing, but there's, there's signs he's, he's good enough for the Premier League. And the rest, are, they're pretty much also rounds, to be totally honest. Stephen Ward did well when he came into the side, but he's like injured now. And the rest are, are bench warmers at best. And the concern for me was that they're not even players that you would expect to, to stand out if we were to get relegated. So it's not like we were planning ahead for relegation. Think about players like Stephen Reid and Matt Taylor. I don't really understand why we were signing them. You, you mentioned missing out on a few targets. And the next question, I must admit, as a Yorkshireman, it's quite easy for me to say, but do you think there's an element that Burnley might not be the most attractive proposition for, for players to come and, and live and, and work in the area? Possibly. I mean, I think it works both ways. I mean, I don't think many of the Burnley players live in Burnley, to be honest, but we've got Manchester just down the road, Liverpool's not that far away. There's plenty of places for footballs to live, and all we've had players live even south of Manchester and, and still play for Burnley. So I don't know if that's had too much to do with it. I think finances have been the major factor to me. I mean, to take Craig Bryson as, a, as an example, he scored a lot of goals for Derby last season and as a goal scorer in midfield, that was something that we really needed to add to the squad. There were stories that he had a release clause of only 750000 which is obviously within reach of even us. But in the end, he signed a, a four, four-year, might have even been a five-year contract at Derby and he's 27 years old. 
So they're probably paying him 20 grand, maybe even 25 grand a year for a five-year deal for someone who's 27. It's a huge amount of money, really, for a club like us, and we couldn't really compete with that. And we've seen other players we've gone after. Craig Dawson's another one. He seemed like he was surplus to requirements at, at West Brom, but he's managed to get himself a place in the side there, and he's playing regularly. So it's been difficult. I think a mixture of factors, maybe... Um, the players were expecting us to come straight back down so Bryson maybe felt he had a better chance of getting promoted with Derby and maybe they're more equipped to stay up but I think individually all the targets we missed out on you could make valid reasons why it's just collectively it seemed a problem that of maybe five or six obvious targets that would have improved the team by a considerable distance didn't come in and we ended up with five or six players who barely improved the bench Looking through your squad as well, it's it's quite unique given that ninety five percent of the makeup is it is are players that are, are from the British Isles, and that given the the transfers that are usually made in the Premier League isn't really the case. I mean, most sides only have one or two British starters, for example, especially in the the, the bigger sides at the top of the table, the, the few and far between. Do you think that's a positive rather than? Uh, a negative do you think that the fact that Burnley have identified that they want to look for that sort of player is 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 a good thing to have at the club or do you think it's holding you back do you think there's there's markets in in other foreign leagues that you should be trying to tap into I think it is a good there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Good thing, and I think it's it's we didn't really have a choice in the matter. I mean, we didn't have a, a European scouting network last season, so if we wanted to sign players from outside of Britain, it would be a case of doing it from videos. And obviously, you can be very hit and miss, and you can make pretty much anyone look good in a, in a YouTube comp- compilation. So, I think that was always going to be tough. You're right about the the new markets, and I think you do have to start looking abroad for bargains. I think a really good example is is Sacco at West Ham, who they paid what three four million for, and he looks at home in the Premier League, and they're not even paying him that much really. So that's the sort of player that we could look to go for. But without that scouting network in place, it's been difficult. I believe they have invested in it now, so maybe in the future that's something we can look at. But I do, I think it's a good thing that we've got a mainly British squad and 
maybe Dyche as well more than most managers prefers to work with people he knows people that he's worked with in the past and he's he's not worked abroad so it was never going to be the case that we were going to be going after foreign players Dyche seems to have done really well at the club I think he, he only had a, a season at Watford before and before he, he came and, and managed you I mean uh, my, my largest impression of him is the fact that he he sounds like he needs a glass of water handing to him every time he speaks. But what is he like for the club? Is he quite a modern manager? Is he is he interested in tactics or is he a bit of more of a, an old school Harry Redknapp type that's more about motivation? It's difficult to say, really. I mean, he, he's still quite inexperienced as a manager, so I think he's learning all the time. I mean, it was his first full year at Burnley when he got promoted, and like you say, we'd done a year at Watford before then, so. I think he's only 43, he's still learning a lot. I would say he's, he's more motivated than a tactician if you're going to take those two extremes. Uh, one of the main criticisms I've had of him um, over the couple of years he's been at Turf Moor is that he doesn't seem to have much of a plan B, but then plan A has worked so well a lot of the time we've not always needed one. I think this season it's been a bit more obvious that when it's not worked we don't have much of an alternative, but... Again, it, it all comes down to resources with Burnley and we don't really have those in place to have players who can come on and change the game. So it does tend to be like for like. But I think motivation has been massive. The, the players all seem to work really hard for each other and for Dash. And it was noticeable season that even players who were on the fringes really and only playing bit part roles, they all seem to have really bought into what Dash was doing. And some of the behind-the-scenes clips that came out from the club you could just see that everyone seemed to get on really well. Really strong character. And I think we've shown that on the pitch with some of the results we've got already this season. Do you think he's going to be there for the full season then? Or do you think, as as is the way with, with any management jobs in football these days, he's, a few few results go against you again. Do you think he's, he's possible to be replaced? I don't think we'd get rid of him. Um, I don't think Burnley tend to do that as much as other clubs, but it, it's... It's hard to say. I mean, if we were to lose half a dozen in a row, it'd be easy to start thinking someone else could come in and do better. But realistically, they're going to have the same players. There's not going to be a lot of money to invest in in January. So it would be a bit pointless to get rid of Dash, I think. It's more likely that he would be tempted by a move somewhere else. But then on the flip side, I don't think he's achieved enough yet to get the sort of mid-level Premier League side. So... If anyone was going to be interested, it'd be uh, the richer championship clubs who were trying to get promoted, maybe other strugglers in the Premier League. And why would he leave Burnley to go to somebody else who's going to be battling relegation? It's it's a difficult one. I think the end of the season is more likely when it'll be reassessed. I think if we stay up, he's going to be in demand. And even if we go down, I think there'll be championship clubs who are looking to take him. But at the minute, I'm pretty confident he's still going to be here in May. Now, we've spoken about Danny Ings, who's... Um been scoring a few goals I think he's got four in 13 now who are the who are the other good players in the squad um, I think Trippi has made a bit of a name for himself and the keeper Heaton saved the, saved the penalty this weekend so is there a few few gems in there that you could possibly sell on and make some money back on definitely Trippier I think ever since we signed him really he's looked outstanding for us and it's difficult to think when he's let us down I think he made one mistake in the Newcastle game that resulted in a goal but apart from that he's really really good um, on Saturday against Southampton he was particularly outstanding and that was noticeable because 
Nat Clyde was playing for for Southampton and he's the, the England right back. Now, obviously, it's early days and Trippi is new to the Premier League, but I do think he's got the potential to challenge for an international place. Um, Heaton's been a little bit more hit and miss, but I think we've kept five clean sheets already and that's outstanding for a club that's just come up and we're expected to be getting hammered every week. So I think he's done very well. And again, with England not having a lot of choice in the goalkeeping department, I wouldn't be too surprised if Heaton was in contention for a place in the squad in the next few years. The other one I'd mention is Jason Shackle. Who's, I think he's 31, so he's probably not going to catch the eye of many other teams, but I think he's been he's been brilliant the last few weeks. We actually tried to sign him a year before we got him when Eddie Howe was manager and it might have worked out totally different if we'd been able to do that because he's been the cornerstone of our success for me. He's such a strong leader and defensively, I think that was our strength last season and we've continued that this year, even though we've had one of the worst goal differences in the league. I think we have been quite strong at the back. We've kept five clean sheets and the couple of games that we've won have been by the old goal. So it's, it's obvious that being solid at the back has been important and Shackle's been really key for that. But yeah, I think those... Those four are probably the ones that you would pick out. Ings in particular is, is the obvious star. He's scored four goals, but it's it's more his overall play that stands out for me. His touch is absolutely fantastic. He carries the ball really well. Defenders are terrified of him. Jose Font at the weekend, he was scared silly every time Ings went anywhere near him with the ball. So Ings is the one that I would tip for a really big future, but I would expect Trippier to, to go all the way as well. I'd be surprised if Trippier doesn't play for England and for a Champions League club. I really think he's that good. A player that I have, was surprised to see come into the, the Premier League is um, Scott Arfield. Because I remember um, watching him from my hometown club, Huddersfield, in League One. And uh, there's a few few players from that um from that squad that have gone on to, to play in the Premier League. Anthony Pilkington's done it, and um, no doubt Jordan Rhodes will at some point. But um, Arfield was never a, a star in that side, but he seems to be quite a, a mainstay in the Burnley one. How, how has he progressed since he's arrived at the club? Well, hopefully if Rhodes does play in the Premier League, it won't be for Black <laughs> to start with. So I'll be quite happy to see him move on from there. Yeah, Arfield is an incredible story, really. I mean... At Huddersfield, I think he played central midfield more often than anywhere else, whereas we've used him as, as sort of a wide midfielder, not like an old-fashioned winger who's hitting the byline and getting crossed in, but um, plenty of energy off the flank and, and a goal threat as well. Um, we didn't really expect anything from him when he signed, to be honest. Obviously, it was someone who'd been let go by Huddersfield and hadn't really been a regular for them, but he was fantastic last year. I think he scored nine goals. A lot of them were winners. He's got a really great character. His work rate is phenomenal. He never stops running. And this season, he started as well as anyone. He scored the, the opening goal against Chelsea and never really looked back for the first few weeks. He did have a couple of weeks off through injury. And he's not really looked the same since then. So I'm not sure he's 100%. But yeah, Offield's been an absolute star. And to think that we got him for nothing and he was released by Huddersfield, it just beggars belief, really. And I think he should probably be in the Scotland squad the way he's been playing. Now, looking forward to the game you're going to play against us, um, where do you see Burnley being able to hurt Tottenham? Do you think there's a realistic chance that you'll be able to get a, a result from that game? I don't see why not. I think Spurs have been a funny one this season. It's typical of having a new manager come in, I think, in that you're quite inconsistent. You seem to be better away than at home, and Adebayor 
obviously Adebayo's maybe got an ulterior motive, but when he was talking about playing in front of the fans being difficult, I think he had a bit of a point. Um, I think defensively is where we can really hurt Spurs, but then Loris is such a good goalkeeper, it's difficult to to see that as a weakness. I think Ings is obviously the one we're going to look to to make something happen, and I would back him to, to cause problems um, for your team, but everywhere else, we, we're quite a solid team. We don't really have many obvious strengths and weaknesses. Trippier will try and get forward from right back, and he's the, the main creative threat, even though he's a defender. Um, the player I'm most worried about is Christian Eriksen because he, he seems to keep coming up with late winners and I've followed him for a while and I'm rating very highly so I think he's one of the main threats but looking at your strikers I don't think there's much for us to, to fear there. Kane seems to be scoring a few but I'm still not convinced he's actually a very good player. Where, what about the, the Tottenham side then? You, you mentioned Eriksen but do you, do you think there's anyone else who could... Um... Who could cause problems for you? I've not seen that much of Spurs this season, to be honest. I think, obviously, Pochettino's still trying to get you playing his style of football and some of the players that are at Spurs don't really fit in with it. I think some of the young players that you've got are, are going to be very good, but at the minute, they're probably not at that sort of level. Um, obviously, players like Lamela are hugely talented, but whether they're doing it on a, on a regular basis is another thing. Yeah, I think... Like I said, I think Loris is, is probably your star player. Kane is one that we've got to be wary of, but Eriksen's really the one that we've got to watch in the in and around the box. Do you think that Dyche is is a sort of manager that's that's sort of astute enough to notice the weaknesses of a of a bigger side like Tottenham and, and do his best to to take advantage of that and and sort of exploit that in, in a way that will help Burnley against us? I'm not sure really. We do seem to play pretty much the same way every week and, and look to to impose ourselves on the opposition. He is quite um, reactive as well, though, in that he'll wait to see what the opposition is doing and then try and do something about it. But then when we played at Stoke recently, no one really expects us to get anything there, but we started like, like a house on fire and we were tuning up within 15 minutes. So... Maybe that was down to something being seen in the start team. We could see something similar on Saturday. But it's it's difficult to predict. I think we'll we'll try and keep it tight as much as anything. Last season we won a lot of the way games just by making sure it was nil nil after an hour, and then being a bit more expressive going forward. So we could try and do the same. I know we've not got a very good record at White Hart in recent years. Don't know how much of that, that's going to have an impact on Saturday's game. But I think after beating Southampton at the weekend, we've got a bit of confidence. We're on a decent run. We've won at Stoke recently. And also, it's it's not the sort of game where we're expected to get anything. So if we can get a result, it's a bonus, really. Now, uh, we're, we're often linked to a uh, former Burnley player and a Burnley lad as well, I think. Um, not that he, his name sounds that way, but in, Jay Rodriguez. Um, how do you, how, how have you tracked his, his career? Because he seems to have kicked on to a completely different level since moving to Southampton and I think he's done a lot better both getting into the England squad and, and scoring goals in the Premier League than anyone had really thought he was going to was that something that, that Burnley fans were, were sort of expecting for him and were you a bit disappointed when when he left? I was disappointed when he left but I think 
after the season he'd had, it, it was inevitable. And with us not looking like we're going to get promoted, it was obvious it was going to move on. Um, I was actually at school with Jay. It was the year below me at high school. And it was always a quiet, unassuming lad. You'd never guess that this was a, a Premier League, an England player in the making. He kept himself to himself, but it was obviously always had a lot of talent. Watched him come through the ranks at Burnley. And again, he never really stood out. He started off, almost like a goal poacher. He seemed to come to life in the penalty area, but not really have a lot else to his game. Um, when we got promoted last time, it was bad timing for Jay, really, because he just started to get into the team the year before, played a lot of the cup games and made an impact in the bench uh, a few times. But when we got promoted, we spent three million on Stephen Fletcher and that really knocked him down the pecking order. And then he broke his ankle, so it was a bit unlucky for Jay. But the year after that was when it really his talent really started to come through and in fairness to Brian Laws, there's not many positive things I've got to say about Laws, but he did give Jay his chance. And we were playing him off the left wing, which has become his position, even though a lot of people think he should play up front. And the thing about Jay is he's such a confident lad. He'll take things on, he'll try things that maybe other players wouldn't, and he's very direct. And I think that's what attracts him to, to Pochettino because he's he's got that pressing style and he'll take players on and he'll look for goal at the soonest opportunity. It hasn't really surprised me that he's done so well at Southampton, to be honest, because it always looked like he had the, the ability and, more importantly, the application. I think you see plenty of talented English lads who it all goes to their head and they think they've made it and done it all at 22 when they haven't achieved anything. Jay's never had that. His family have kept his feet on the ground, his head screwed on. And I think it's, it's just a shame that he had that really serious injury because he would have gone to the World Cup and he'd have had every chance of taking it by storm. It's interesting the, the way you... Um the way you talk about how he is as a lad because it reminds me a lot of, of James Milner who I talk about quite often because we uh, he was uh, a few years before me in school so uh, both quite grounded northern lads I think coming from the sort of places they do will will help them because um, it's just a there's no real propensity to act like a fancy Dan when you come from the places that we do and I think that that, that helps them and gives them that work ethic that they need um, coming from places like Yorkshire and Lancashire it's it's it's, it's sort of a, a blessing in disguise if you will but um, did you ever honestly see him Breaking into the England squad because I remember back when we we played we played you in the Carlin Cup semi final was it he came on and scored a goal when you almost knocked us out with Robbie Blake scoring yeah, a free yeah. kick. Um, back then he he seemed like he was he was just, as you say just a bit of a goal poacher. So was it was it really just that that intervention that Brian Laws had that that helped him on? Yeah, I think it was it was when he came into the side he got a regular run in the team which was what he hadn't had before, but. It was obvious that there was something about him. Maybe it was dreaming a little bit to suggest he could have been an England player at that stage. But I think sometimes you just see things in young players. And I saw that in Jay Rodriguez. The way he carries himself, the way he runs with the ball and takes people on. and He seemed to, to be able to score all types of goals. And I think that's really important if you want to be a top-level forward. You can't just rely on the same sort of goals because people will work you out. So I think he's got that unpredictability. And when he went to Southampton, it, it didn't happen straight away. But I think when Pochettino came in, he obviously identified how to get the best out of Rodriguez. So I think it would be an interesting move if he went to Spurs because I think he fits into the style quite well. The formation looks like it's got a nice a gap for him on the left side of his attack. So it'd be interesting if he does move and it'd be good for us as well because I think we've got quite a good sell on fee on him. 
Excellent. Um, I think that's everything we need to know then, Jamie, apart from uh, what would be your, your score prediction for the weekend? Like I've said, I think we're not really expected to get anything, but we've been playing quite well recently, so I'm relatively confident we can get something. I'd probably say a draw, I reckon one all is maybe the most likely result. Excellent. Thanks very much for your time. No worries, mate. Uh, what you described as the most northern episode of uh, Ruler East ever, wasn't it, mate? So, uh, did you have a nice chat with him? Do you like that? I did. It was quite nice to say he was from Lancashire, so I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, surprising, surprising. Um, do you do you reckon we're gonna, we're going to beat? Well, I think it's going to be a tough game, Burnley. I think every game is going to be a tough game, but uh, it's at White Hart Lane, so you'd hope that we can beat them. But they're in decent form, aren't they? They are indeed, yeah. Um, I was quite surprised with what he had to say about Sean Dyche. I thought he was going to say he was a bit more um, had a bit more nous about him than than he than he did. He said he said he was a bit more of a um, of a motivator than a tactician, which I, I wasn't really expecting because um, I've heard things about him having um, studied, you know, management from from other countries and things before taking over. So. I thought he was a slightly more studious than uh, Jamie said he was, so uh, that gave me a tiny bit of heart knowing that he's 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 perhaps not as clever a manager as I'd um, given him credit for being. But they, they're in they're in fine fettle at the minute, and they'll uh, they'll be slightly more confident than they will have been a few weeks ago. So um, it'll be it'll be one of those. I think Tom Heaton as well as a as a goalkeeper primed to come to White Hart Lane and have one of those. Uh, those fantastic afternoons that we're used to goalkeepers coming coming and having at our place. It's uh, uh it's, it, it is one of those kind of fixes that's got banana skin written all over it. But you know, I think we've we've got to be confident. We're in we're in good form ourselves. So uh, you know, uh, yeah, I think um, as long as we we start quite ferociously and grab an early goal, I'll um, I'd be quite comfortable that uh, Burnley would. Would hopefully wilt from then on. Uh, if we if we grab a couple in the first half, it'll just make the entire afternoon a lot a lot easier. We do have the the Newcastle game on Wednesday as well, so there is a, a possibility of extra time and whatnot, which I'd, I'd very much like to avoid. I'd um, hopefully we, we we play a a slightly changed side against Newcastle, as I imagine Pardew is likely to do, and um, I I'd, I'd want to see us progressing the cup. I think that should be a priority for now, given it's our last cup game of the the year. I think so. Um, I'd want us to to try and get through that now, um, and then we'd be in the semi-finals, wouldn't we? I think so. That's yeah. It's not it's not a bad place to be. It's been a few years since we've enjoyed a. A double leg in the uh, the Carling Cup, so I'd um, a Capital One Cup now. Sorry, whatever the sponsorship is, League Cup. Um, I want I want us to to have a crack at that. It'd be nice to go back to Wembley. Um, last time I went to Wembley was when the Rhinos got to Challenge Cup final last season. So I've got good memories oh, of that. Oh, none of fucking rugby bollocks again. No, enough of that. Slap on the wrist. Don't, no one cares, mate. No one cares. Everyone cares. <laughs> Um, or actually, I better, I better be careful what I say because I see you've just become friends with uh, Luke, Luke the Boiler on Twitter now, and he'll he'll be after me if he's not already. So I, I didn't mean any uh, didn't mean any offence to the Rhinos, uh, Luke. I know you care, and that's probably uh, enough. Anyway, enough of the end jokes. Um, cereal that's coming to an end this week. Um, I do, I do. Is that because they're going to burn down that cafe in Shoreditch? <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's quite good, that mate. Um, Thank you. That was quite good. Quite like that. Um, I do feel sorry for that bloke. I'm going to be honest. It is wanky. It's pretentious. But 
like the bloke's been treated like he's Jimmy Savile, you know, like all he's done is open up a a wanky hipster cafe, but he is genuinely getting treated like he's the cause of like, you know, the capitalist malaise that's sweeping Britain. Like, you know, he's he's just opened a little wanky cafe for wankers, like I don't think he's selling like crunching up for tennis though, is he? It's like they're actually like those important not not important, imported cereals and yeah. stuff like that. So it's like it's not stuff you'd go and buy in Tesco for a quid for like a multi pack. It's some other stuff that I've never really heard of, like you know, American... lucky charms and all that shit. And... Yeah, that's you'd have to go to some sort of special retailer or buy it offline yourself. Offline, online, Jesus Christ, I sound like a granddad. Buy it offline. <laughs> um, it's one of those, so buy it, it off know. the line. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I almost said then, Jesus. Yeah. But um, I'm only 22 as well, Jesus. Um, so yeah, he's um, Wise he's not too bad. Years. Yeah, fuck him though, anyway. You put yourself out there. Things like Fla- <laughs> like Flavel, it says you put your head over the parapet, expect to get shot. So uh, you know that's what happens. Um, cereal, though, I think people are uh, they they seem to be expecting like an actual conclusion to this. Like, oh, and it turns out that you know Adnan was guilty or Adnan was innocent. Like, I think you know I think maybe sometimes people need to realise that uh, it is like an ongoing case, and this was never a kind of like. Sarah Koenig's going to get to the bottom of this. She was just examining kind of a case that was probably, well, that was clearly quite poorly handled by the authorities. And the the actual, the whole point of the show was just to have a closer look at it, look at everything that was involved. And if, she, say, she did come to some sort of different conclusion, then great. But you know, there might very well be the chance that there's no real conclusion to it other than that, the whole thing remains shrouded in mystery and the authorities ultimately still thought Adnan was, was guilty. I mean, I don't know. I have two theories about this. The first theory is that it's just going to be a a pause in the series because uh, the case is actually being resumed early next year um, and going to appeal. That was, has nothing to do with the podcast whatsoever. It was just uh, fortunate timing because his, his, um, his, his case is actually coming up for... Um, a mandatory appeal, so you'll be able to, um, you know, have a retrial or whatever that process is, um, which is the sensible answer. My less sensible answer and my second theory is that this is the one that I've got my fingers crossed for, is that it's just going to be 45 minutes of Sarah Koenig breaking into Jay's house and waterboarding him on audio <laughs> to, to find out what actually happened, so you'll just hear his feverish screams and, and pants for air as she, like, pushes his nails back into his hands and, uh, <laughs> you know, blasts music and does, um, does like, sleep deprivation and things on him. And that eventually... Making, just... making him wear a nappy that's already yeah, filled and... with shit. Yeah, and just uh, make, him, make him crack, like, some sort of audio version of Zero Dark Thirty. But, um... I admit that's uh, that's that's less likely to happen. Although, if it, if it, possibly. I mean, this is why I should be put in charge of these um, these shows. To be honest, uh, I don't have I'm not on enough of these audio formats as it is. So, if you give me a third one to uh, <laughs> third one to speak shit on, then I'll, uh, I'll I'll gladly do so. Raj Baines goes in swinging. That's it, mate. That's what's, that's what's endeared you to. Some of our guests, namely, I think like one of the Man City lads is uh, 
particularly funding me. So uh, yeah, my my podcast is going through cold cases and solving them through um, like horrible forms of torture. Uh, and I think people would listen to that. Horrible forms of torture and passive aggression. I think that yeah. Could be. Yeah, yeah, just just me it. me tricking people into uh, into saying things that they uh, were never intent on saying. I think yeah. you don't know which Raj is going to show up, the one that's going to come and like punch you in the face and hold a knife to a family member's throat, <laughs> or the Raj that's just going to go, "Yeah, you would deny it, wouldn't you?" And then I'd be um, I'd be like Liam Neeson in the Lego Movie, both good cop and bad yeah. cop. <laughs> mm. The Lego go. movie is genuinely good. It's one of my favourite films of this year, to be yeah, honest. It's, it's, uh, if, if you've not seen it and you are an adult without a child to go and see it with, don't be embarrassed to uh, to experience that because it is absolutely wonderful. It is, and, you uh, could say, awesome. Yeah, it is, it's essentially a satire done with Lego, so it's fantastic. So imagine, yeah, imagine 1984 done with Lego. That's kind of, with a kind of probably a, a bit less miserable and a bit like bit less bleak than 1984 was and kind of with that with added batman yeah we're a bit we're a bit batman and lego and a infectious soundtrack shall we say um it's good watch the lego yeah. movie the animation what, what is incredible is is this going to be our last we should probably have this conversation off air but is this going to be our last one of the year or are we we're going to do one we can't do one next week, can we? Because it's Christmas. This might be our last one at year. It, it could well be. Um, you, you just don't know yet. Whilst you're listening to this, this, maybe we'll give you a present before Christmas. Maybe we won't. Who knows? What's been um, before we go then quickly? What's been your favourite uh, Tottenham memory from the year? My favourite Tottenham memory from the year. Um, <laughs> oh God, uh, Tim Sherwood getting sacked. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'd probably agree with you. That's probably the happiest I've been with the club all uh, all year. Um, although towards the end, was the end of this year? Um, yeah, we finished the year with Sherwood, didn't we? So no, definitely that's probably it. Although we did start the year by beating Man United, so that was probably a high point given that it was twelve months ago. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, what What about uh, what's your favourite record of the year? Favourite record? Of the, oh fuck, I don't know, man. Too old. Too old for too old for new music. We talk about music all the time. Don't pretend like you're uncool now. I know. I can't think of anything that particularly stands out though. Like I just listen to stuff on Spotify, and it kind of you know, some of it jumps out at me, some of it doesn't. I quite like Death from Above's album, but I wouldn't say it was my favourite because I just kind of like Death from Above. What was your favourite film of the year? I liked. Uh, oh, what was it? Um, was Metronomy's album this year? Yes, Love good. Letters. Yeah, that was a fucking good album. I really, really like that. That um, is a good shout. I'll probably, probably go with Metronomy, yeah. I really like that album, if that's I had a good, to say one. It's a good record. I took my mum to go see them live, and she really enjoyed it. Really? Yeah. Um, Seems like a good lass, your mum, though, like mum jokes aside. Like, no, she... Like, like I said... Her jib. Well, my parents are only young, aren't they? So they're... Um, they, they they can still get down with kids and whatnot. Yeah. So Young, younger than me, aren't they? So. <laughs> Just about. <laughs> yeah. There's probably yeah. the same difference between me and you in age than there is between you and me, old man. In fairness, so. Yeah. Um. What What is your favourite film at year? Oh, don't know. That's oh, that's very tough. Um. Ooh, there's been quite a few. Um, if I had to say. I reckon Nightcrawler just about pips it, I think. Um, 
I really liked it. Great I performance from Jake Gyllenhaal. I, yeah, yeah, just about, just about. That, that's definitely in my top five. I think I'd go for Boyhood uh, by Richard yeah, Linklater. Yeah, that's incredible. I don't think you're going to see many more films like that. Um, I think it'll probably be one of those that's a bit too much for, you know, too many awards come award season because they'll they'll be looking at elsewhere. But that was a that was my favourite film of the year. If uh, if anyone's interested in watching that. And uh, my favourite record of the year, as I wrote for the Sabotage Times, is a record called Commune by a band called Goat from Sweden who make psychedelic music tinged with uh, Afrobeat and uh, Turkish music. Full of Taylor Swift's. Oh, that's in the top five. It is, it's fantastic, 1989. But uh, Commune's my favourite record of the year. It's brilliant. All right, well, uh, I want to go and watch The Missing now, mate. So um, I say we... we fuck this off now um, yep I'll, I'll edit it down and everything and uh, right well right. yeah well uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll say if you want to listen to the, the previous episodes thanks I like that you've broken the uh, broken the fourth wall there Raj as well quite to be honest we're just going to hang up as soon as this finishes so yeah. I'll, I'll let you go off <laughs> alright it's basically listen to the show on iTunes follow us at RTRSSM um, you can also listen to all the web versions of the show and the Spurs Statman website, spursstatman.com. Also be sure to follow the boss, JP, at Spurs Statman. Thank you very much for listening, um, joining us through 2014. This might be the last show of 2014. It might not be. But uh, if it is, thank you very much. It's a pleasure recording, pleasure interacting with most of you. Merry um, Christmas. Mer- Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah as well for anyone that's... Uh, Celebrating that, and uh, yeah, come on, you Spurs. Jingle bells, Tetrunk smells, Raj Baines is the boss, Jack thinks he is the host of the pod, but he's just talking toss. Hey, jingle bells, Jack is old, he is losing his hair at the front, he thinks we all love him, but really he's a cunt. Hey, jingle bells, sorry mate, I know this must be shocking, but this is my present to you, in a sort of cheaper audio version of a stocking, jingle bells, rugby league, game of thrones and cereal, we pretend we're discussing football, but we're just talking bull, hey, jingle bells, thanks to Seb, and everyone who is a guest, we laugh at you behind your backs but really you're all the best, hey, jingle bells, I'm getting bored. Cunt fuck shit spunk dick knob and poo. Sorry about the swearing. I just wondered what text to speech would do. Hey. Jingle bells. Thanks for listening. Especially to the secret open letter. When this comes back next year. We'll promise to try and be better. Jingle bells. This is the end. I'll get out of your hair. Just wishing you a happy Christmas. And a really cracking time at New Year. All our love. Raj and Jack. Especially to you. Nasa Chadley. You naughty little boy you. P.S. Fuck Arsenal. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.